Today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, Secretary of State Adams signals he may be looking to leave Eric as a quote-unquote voter rolls tracking system that many Republican states have left. But the question is, can he legally even do it? Republican lawmakers are pushing to pass gun control and red flag uh, law legislation, showing us time and time again that our Republican legislature is full of absolute disappointments. And then finally, at a Raceland-Worthington Independent School District that's up there in Green County, Greenup County, a board meeting uh, has, has got a little ruckus, got a little crazy as a large group of parents confronted school officials on allegations of multiple school employees grooming and sexually abusing kids. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and I want to thank you all so, so much for joining us today. Please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. I know I remind you all every time, but make sure you do it. It's a great way to uh, help support the show, spread the word, go... Share with people what we're talking about, obviously. And then also as well, make sure you're sharing the podcast on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, all those major podcasting platforms. Feel free to share that around too as well. It helps me out and it helps spread the word and it helps make Kentucky a better place. Finally, if you want to reach out to the show, if you've got things you want to cover, things you want to hear talked about, uh, tips or anything else, feel free to reach out to the show at info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. Reach out, voice um, you know, your concerns, your comments, everything else. Let me know. Uh, or you know, if you've got things going on you want to share, just let me know about it. All right. But without further ado, Let's dig into it. Now, before I go into this topic about Eric and voter rolls and what's going on there, I want to be clear um, about why I'm covering this issue and how I'm going to cover it, because this is going to be one of the first times I go into anything to do with election integrity on the show. Now, there's a reason why I don't spend a bunch of time talking about election integrity on the show, and and mainly it's because I don't delve into topics um, that you can get a lot of coverage from elsewhere. I mean, there are literally tons of groups, places, podcasts, outreach groups that are specifically talking about this. And what I strive to cover are topics and items on my show that you're not going to hear anywhere else, or perhaps topics that the media has touched on a bit, but there's more of a story there, more of an insight, a little bit more of a commentary that I feel I can add to the discussion and add to your knowledge base. And so, which is why I'm talking about Eric today is because we've seen a few stories about it in the news and I want to make sure I give some clarifications on some items for people uh, about what's going on in the backstory and then also as well help provide a tiny bit of commentary on it. Now, um, because I don't talk about this all the time, election integrity all the time, and even today I'm not really going to go into a whole lot of things about election voting machines or hand vote counting or this and that. And, and because I don't talk about that, people want to claim sometimes that I'm not uh, for election integrity or anything else, to which I always respond with, when have you sued your county clerk in court? Because I have. When have you done it? Because while I was running for the state Senate, I sued my county clerk here in Fayette County when he was violating election law and won. So I clearly, 
the fact that I'm willing to stake my reputation and resources on topics like voter integrity and maintaining our laws shows you quite clearly that this is a topic I do care about. Now, without further ado on that point, uh, um, let's go into this uh, a story here. So Secretary of State Adams is signaling that he may want to leave Eric. And so what is Eric? Well, the original kind of idea behind Eric was to coordinate voter rolls between states. Basically, when you move out of a state and you register to vote in a new state, that doesn't remove you off Kentucky voter rolls. So Eric was intended to be a system where states kind of join together and they share information. And when a voter moves from Kentucky, let's say to I don't know, Indiana, well, then that person, when they're added to the voter rolls there, would then get removed off the voter rolls in this state. That was the original purpose behind it because inflated voter rolls are a big problem for a number of reasons, but the crux of it is, is that inflated voter rolls, people on the rolls that can't actually vote there, shouldn't be legally able to vote for there, uh, do offer opportunities for fraudulent voting. This isn't just me saying this. This is also belief held by our federal government and federal court system. I'll have more on that in a bit as we dig into this, but anyways, and so people can think that maybe, maybe, maybe you're somebody that doesn't think large scale fraud happens a whole lot, but this inflated voter rolls do provide opportunities for fraud of all kinds. So maybe you don't think there's people or groups of people trucking in hundreds of votes and other people's names. And, and so inflated voter rolls you think aren't a big deal, but you know, there's, there's small one-off things too that can happen with inflated voter rolls. Like one person getting to cast three or four ballots as mail-in ballots or, or other issues like that. And when um, you may say that, well, that doesn't matter to big elections, maybe like a presidential election. Well, it does matter at least to local elections where a lot of times seats are won by one or two votes. Now, before the left got all whatever on election integrity, it used to be kind of an accepted fact that there was at least always some fraud in an election, but the question was always, was it enough fraud to change the outcome of the election? So this is just a, a, a topic, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, having inflated voter rolls is something that is a big, big problem. So the fact that inflated voter rolls offer opportunity for fraud and hurt election integrity is why uh, quite a few years ago, while Allison Grimes was our who's a Democrat, was our Secretary of State, awful Secretary of State. Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit against her office saying that the rolls were inflated by hundreds of thousands of voters, like, like hundreds of thousands of voters, and her office needed to do something about it. And this prompted, actually, that lawsuit prompted the Department of Justice, the federal government, to get involved in the case. And because they got involved and were pushing on uh, Kentucky as well over the inflated voter rolls, there was a consent decree, basically a plea agreement of sorts. And so Kentucky agreed that our voter rolls were so inflated that was hurting the integrity of our elections uh, to the point where the, like I said, the federal government got involved. So the Secretary of State's office, um, a part of their agreement, joined ERIC, okay, uh, in order to help remove out-of-state voters as a part of their agreement. Well, in the wake of the 2020 election, ERIC has uh, come under quite a lot of scrutiny. And due to that scrutiny, whether you agree with it or not, states started to leave the system. Now, 
and and the reason why it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not is because the the entire reason the entire process why sis why the original idea behind eric would work at all is that states need to be a part of it state needs to be participating and if they're not participating in it well then the system just doesn't work in fact when we look at the states around us only one out of the uh several states that touch kentucky are a part of the eric system and so it just it doesn't do what it was supposed to do for us anymore, um, and and it doesn't do what it was originally sold to do. And the fact that Eric is not efficient uh, at removing out-of-state voters is very obvious to anyone who's ever ran for office and sent in campaign texts. I mean, uh, you know, I've sent tens, hundreds of thousands of texts, but if you send like around 10,000 texts to people that our state says are on the voter rolls and live in Kentucky, you'll get at least a couple hundred responses saying they no longer live here in Kentucky. Now, one time when getting these responses, my campaign actually responded to some of these messages saying, well, it appears you're still registered to vote here. And of those people who responded to, many of them went and checked uh, with the state. And sure enough, they were still registered to vote in Kentucky, even though some of them hadn't lived here for over 10 years. So you got a problem of out-of-state voters in large numbers still registered to vote in Kentucky, uh, no longer live here, and Eric isn't getting it done. And that's why it looks like Adams, while he he doesn't think Eric is fraudulent, he's stated that many a times that he doesn't think there's really an issue with Eric. Um, he has signaled and decided to pull out because it's just not effective. And he's saying, well, I want to use those resources on a system that would be more effective because just many of our neighboring states aren't part of it. So, um, Adams is asked now if Kentucky can leave the Eric system. Because remember, the whole reason why we entered into it was because of this consent decree. And so Adams has asked a judge, a federal judge, if KY can leave uh, the Eric system. He asked that here recently. And if the judge says no, Adam has, uh, he's got a pretty clear argument for a lawsuit uh, on why it isn't working because not enough states are members. But Adams is going to also have to produce his own solution to how to deal with out-of-state voters and the process, and I have an idea for him. How about we have a system for people to deregister themselves from our voter rolls if they move on? I mean, going, going back to my prior experience I was talking about, those people who we checked with, after we messaged them, and they said, well, we're still on the rolls, they then would, many of them responded to saying, well, how do I remove myself? And we had to tell them there is no way to do it. Therefore, we need to create a way, a secure way for people to remove themselves when they move from our voter rolls. Whether you do that through an online por portal uh, that has some sort of system for obviously identifying your identity, or better yet, you just simply put forms in the post office. And so when people come in to fill out a change of address form, as many people do, because you uh, right now, I do believe I recently did a change of address form for uh, one of my companies. And so I do believe when you go into the post office, um, they, they informed us you now have to show your ID every time. In fact, I even think they scan the back of the IDs in order to have your address forms uh, authorized. So they're already verifying identity when you're coming in there to move. Just have a change of voter registration that they are verifying and notarizing. And so that way it can be sent off. Like I said, they're already checking the IDs. Um, so that way citizens can remove themselves. That'd be a great first step. That's just a small idea I have that is extremely frustrating that nobody 
can remove themselves. I mean, regardless, we've got to find solutions in order to bring down our overinflated voter rolls and our out-of-state voters. And clearly, Eric isn't getting it done for us, um, whether that's by design or on purpose or not. That's up to you to decide, of course. But regardless, Adams is asking this judge, and you know. I don't know how committed he actually is uh, to fighting this. You know, one of the big quote unquote selling points Adams has always pushed himself on is he's this amazing election uh, uh, attorney. Um, in fact, I think he still moonlights as an election attorney. So you would hope that if they try to tell him no, that he can legal his way out of this if he's such a great attorney. But of course, that would require him to actually be very uh, committed to ensuring we leave Eric. And I don't know how committed he is. I'm not going to pretend that Adams is a great secretary of state at all. Um, you know, obviously, he, you know, you, you know, some people love him. Some people do, especially people on the left. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, the way he deals with constituents and the way he deals with issues, um, you know, he's, he's very much so a troll, very trolling. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, I don't like for elected officials to treat constituents the way he does. That is an issue I certainly have with Adams just on the face. On top of that, as well, him fighting in courts against recounts and everything else, expending tax dollars instead of just allowing recounts to move forward. That wouldn't cost the taxpayers anything because the candidate was paying for it. You know, you've got issues like that, that, um, you know, I definitely have reservations about Adams, but regardless, if he is such a so-called great attorney, he should be able to legal himself out of this. Well, coming up after this, we're going to talk about a legislative push in our state uh, house and our state legislature to pass something called CAR. It's actually our state Senate, but our state legislature to pass something called CAR. Um, that is an egregious violation of gun rights, and it's coming from these so-called Republicans. This isn't something that Democrats are pushing. And we'll have more after this short break. Senator Whitney Westerfield. Maybe you've never heard of him and count yourself lucky if you haven't. Um, he is a registered Republican from Western Kentucky. Uh, he is not running for re-election. Again, he announced, um, you know, maybe it's just because he can't take the heat. Maybe he's trying to run for something else instead. We'll see what happens. But he is not running for re-election. Now, to me... Uh, I know him most famously for being a rapist apologist as he pushed for the pardon of a uh, convicted rapist, not because he didn't think the racist, the race, racist, the rapist uh, did the raping, um, but he just thought that the sentence was just a little too mean. Um, that is the kind of person here we're dealing with. Now, Whitney, like I said, is not running for reelection. Uh, perhaps. Being in office is taking way too much time from him getting his manicures. And if you know where that joke comes from, you know. And if you don't, you don't. But as you can tell, I clearly don't like Whitney very much. And if you spoke to him for 10 minutes or read his Twitter, you too would also not like him quickly at all. You'd quickly see why. And it's not just because he thinks that rapists need more lenient sentences. Uh, so you see, and, and, and the reasons why I don't like Whitney, it's not as much even about his viewpoints on policies that makes me dislike him so much as that he has these viewpoints while parading around as some conservative. And last I checked, conservatives are not supposed to be for bigger 
and bigger spending. I know many of them still vote that way, but they're not supposed to be. I mean, this is they're not supposed to advocate for these things. I'm not saying they don't do these things. They're just not supposed to advocate for them. And so they're re people who call themselves Republicans are not supposed to be openly advocating for bigger, bigger government, more spending, going easy on rapists, supporting Democrats, supporting critical race theory, increasing taxes. And now to his resume, we can definitely add hating the Second Amendment to the list. Now, this report, this news story came back in June, I believe. But in this video I'm about to show you, uh, Whitney here is talking about legislation that he is pushing called CAR, which ironically stands for the crisis aversion and rights retention. That when you hear him talking about it, you'll be left asking yourselves that, well, what rights are being uh, retained here? But let's hear what old Whitney uh, has to say about uh, uh, about this, let's see what here uh, a Whitney who hates the Constitution, Westerfield, has to say about guns and gun rights here in Kentucky. One of these these tragedies happens. It does motivate people. It it moves the needle a little bit and encourages people to talk about it in ways that they didn't talk about it before. But will discussions lead to action is the question facing Republican State Senator Whitney Westerfield and other Kentucky lawmakers in next year's legislative session. Westerfield telling me a draft is in the works. The Crisis Aversion and Rights Retention Bill. Or CAR for short. It's a bill that would allow law enforcement to temporarily seize a person's gun if a judge deems them a risk to themselves or others. To avoid a crisis or, or a tragedy. It's similar to a red flag law, but Westerfield says his version would have heightened due process protections. But still retain rights at the same time. Meaning the gun owner would be guaranteed an opportunity for a hearing to prove to a judge why they should not have their firearm taken away. And there are people today that are talking about something like car that wouldn't have touched that bill two, three, four, five years ago. So we are making progress. Is it enough to pass something in 24? I don't know. But we're closer in 24 than we were in 23. Westerfield. Creates better protection for due process than just simply red flag gun laws. Because now, you know, you'd be guaranteed a hearing in front of your judge in order to keep your rights. Now, last I checked, according to the founders of this country in a pesky document that people like Whitney seem to cast to the side and wipe their butts with called the Constitution. Our right to self-defense was given to us by our creator. And it's the government's role to not get in the way of that. Our rights were not given to us by a judge. And I shouldn't have to be in front of a judge and beg him to allow me to own a firearm or beg him to allow me to get my rights back when I haven't even been accused of a crime, let alone convicted of one. I've never stood before a jury of my peers. I've never been, I, I, I'm not being accused, but yet one solitary judge gets to make a decision on whether or not you have rights. Seems like an absolute due process violation to me. And obviously, I've talked about this probably in the podcast. I've talked about red flag laws, but it's just absolutely disgusting to hear these people who call themselves attorney that name something the uh, uh, Crisis Aversion and Rights Retention Act. Have the audacity say this is a retaining your right? It keep, it's keeping your rights. No, it's not. You're making me stand in front of a judge.
without being convicted of a crime. So that way I can continue to own firearms. I mean, there's so many clues as to how this clearly can be abused by judges and liberals and people who hate the Second Amendment, who would now be in charge of deciding whether or not rights get stripped away. And then what? You have to prove uh, uh, you're, I mean, even if you were convicted of a crime, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. In this case, you're guilty of being mentally unable to own a gun and you have to prove otherwise. And the person deciding that is one person who's not even a mental health professional. Not that I think the mental health profession should exactly be trusted with this either. I mean, it's that mental health profession that is currently saying cutting the genitalia off a minor is a good thing and need to prevent suicide. So I don't think them being in charge of deciding whether or not I get to own a gun to prevent suicide is something I should trust them with. You know, who knows? They may say, well, you can only own a gun, but first you got to chop your dick off. I mean, that's where our mental health profession is going right now. But anyways, you, you basically had to convince one judge you get you should get to own a gun. I mean, let's take our Supreme Court. Look, let's just look at our Supreme Court real quick. And I'm saying that because we've seen very public and obvious rulings on the Second Amendment coming out of the Supreme Court. Read the dissenting opinions from the liberal judges. Would you want that person in charge of deciding whether or not you get to own a gun? They would rather nobody own guns. Because that's who you'll be standing in front of. Maybe not that specific Supreme Court justice, but early on in their careers, they were in the same positions, many of them, that these judges that we will be asking to make these decisions will be on. Now, in prior episodes, I went over a bit about red flag gun laws. And the episode is titled something about KMA wants gun control or KMA wants to take away your gun or something like that. And I went over some stats there. But according to even the most generous of all stats, red flag laws, uh, uh, definitely get it wrong at least 90% of the time. We went into the suicide stats on red flag laws because we looked at states before red flag law, after red flag law, and what we see is no change in suicides or actually it goes up. So you have a system that, uh, that even, even when they claim success is 90% wrong, taking guns away from people that end up, and, and so that means it ends up getting reversed that has no reduction on gun crimes or suicides, that maybe 10% of the people guns got taken away from never got returned. So they're assuming that that person would have done something. So based on it, it looks like it's actually 100% wrong because we're not seeing a reduction in suicide or uh, crime, which you would see if it was working. So those 10% of people that are getting their guns taken away are either just committing suicide or crimes in a different way, illegally obtaining guns or... Um, just simply they were never a risk and you got it wrong to begin with. So system that without being accused of a crime, one judge gets to have authority over your God-given right to self-protection. And now you want to tell me this is a good thing that Republicans not only support, but are putting forward. And the most disturbing part about this garbage is in what he said is that this is gaining support in our legislature. I mean, hopefully you're woke up. Hopefully you see that just because you have an R in office doesn't mean you don't need to watch out. Hopefully you realize that most of these politicians absolutely hate us and they just want to control and feel special and feel like they're solving everyone's problems and then they want you to worship them for it. Understand that. They hate you because you just won't do what they want you to. And so they're going to use law and force to make you do it. 
and they don't care about your rights. They don't care about the Constitution anymore. They've left that behind long, long ago. They've absolutely demonized and bastardized what our government was supposed to be. What it was supposed to be. And they've turned it into this weird Frankenstein of supposed intentions backed up by overreaching, over control, and destruction of the American dream and the American way of life and American rights. And hopefully you don't look at these people with respect and admiration when you see them, but treat them as the flawed human beings they are. And hopefully you vote accordingly. You show up in primaries, you knock on doors, you donate, you get involved. Because if you don't, these types of so-called Republicans will rule the day. Why? Because they are willing to sell their souls for a seat in the chamber. And that is, of course, assuming they even have a soul left to sell. All right, coming up, a school board meeting at the independent school district, uh, at an independent school district in Greene County gets heated. We'll have more after this short break. In Greenup County, at the Raceland Worthington Independent School District board meeting, uh, there was a, quite a kerfuffle, quite an incident, a little bit. Not obviously, not violent per se or anything like that, but you had a lot of parents up in arms regarding allegations of school employees grooming and sexually abusing students. Now, longtime followers of the show or new followers can go back to an episode called uh, Our Schools Have Sexual Abuse Problem, and you'll know that our school districts, our public schools in this country, have an incident rate of sexual abuse and assault on minors from teachers uh, that is 100 times larger than the Catholic Church. So we all know the Catholic Church has a reputation or, you know, a stereotype about it, about Catholic priests um, molesting boys, young boys. And our school districts, our public schools, are 100 times worse than the Catholic schools. So this is quite a big issue. It's quite a big problem. And at the Raceland-Worthington Independent School District, there's been some allegations uh, regarding some staff uh, having inappropriate contact messaging, text messaging with students. And parents have been seeing these screenshots uh, and it is certainly something that they found very disturbing. And so at their school board meeting about, according to an uh, article here that I'm reading, about 60 or so parents showed up. And the meeting kicked off, and the meeting shows us everything that's wrong with how school districts should handle this um, and how, this, how they're handling this creates this bigger issue. Uh, I'll talk more about that at the end, but let me tell you how this meeting went, okay? So the school... Uh, hired an attorney named Tim Crawford, and he started off the meeting uh, by talking about a state statute that prevents school board members from commenting on personnel matters, and instead, he told community members to book a private meeting with Superintendent Larry Coldiron to discuss their concerns. Now, throughout the meeting, Crawford repeatedly, uh, apparently, said that they should schedule a meeting with Larry Coldiron, the superintendent. And every time he said that, people laughed in his face. And during the uh, public comment section, which, by the way, was illegally cut short, we'll go into that here in a bit, um, one of the commenters 
actually said, do you know why everybody's laughing? Said it to the attorney. Like, do you realize why everybody's laughing in your face? Apparently, the accused teachers, the alleged, uh, uh, not teachers, the alleged school staff that are perpetrating the uh, inappropriate behavior with students is actually a relative of the superintendent, Larry Coldiron. And so there's a little bit of a conflict of interest here that they're pointing out. And that's why they kept laughing at the idea of sitting down with cold iron. Now, back, though, to cutting this meeting short, a Kentucky statute concerning public school board meetings requires a 15-minute public speaking portion. It was actually passed, uh, I think, a year or two ago. And it was because public schools, uh, their boards were not allowing public comment a lot during COVID as parents were upset about mass, CRT, and other things. So they instead said, look, you got to allow at least a 15-minute public speaking. There's some other things into it, like, uh, uh, you know, of course, school board meetings have to be published, have to be announced, certain rules to make sure that the public is aware of school board meetings and they can show up to them. But attendees were apparently cut short after only 13 minutes um, while they're expressing their concerns over the school system, failing to alert parents of pending investigation. So basically there's a personnel matter involving investigations and the school district is, didn't even tell the parents about it. And I understand there's some concern about possible, you know, like I said earlier, innocent until proven guilty and everything else. But at least if you have something like that going on in your school, you should alert the parents that something is happening. It shouldn't be hearsay. It shouldn't be passed around by text messages. One, it's how you deal with rumor control. Because based upon the uh, evidence that's actually available, it's unclear if this is just a rumor or if this is a serious thing. But the way the school board is handling it, it appears like it's a serious thing. And if it's not, they could tamp that down and deal with it by addressing this head on. But that isn't what they're doing. In fact, every single time that a parent stood up there and asked a question to the school board about what's going on, they were met with silence every time. Even when they asked questions that wasn't even personnel, they asked a simple question like, does the school have a policy about school employees reaching out to, texting, communicating with uh, students outside of school time? Do they have any rules about communicating with them? Do we have a policy in place? And the school board just sat there in absolute silence. Absolute silence. And so these accusations, by the way, involve text messages between an adult and girl at school, communications with a 10-year-old. With a 10-year-old. I mean, if you're a parent, your kid's going to those schools, you'd want to know. So that way you, you can ask your 10-year-old, your 11-year-old, your, your 12-year-old, hey, is anything weird going on? Is everybody texting you? I mean, certainly if you want to solve the problem and deal with it and, and really investigate, then you would want parents asking their kids, hey, do you have any text messages from this guy with this pro or gal with these problems? We don't know. And as I mentioned, I had an episode talking about why this the sexual assault and abuse epidemic in our public schools and how bad it is. And the reason why it's so bad is because these sexual assaults and abuse by teachers, they just get cycled around. They don't even get convicted. Many times it's internally handled. They never talk to the police a lot or, or hardly ever are police involved. And these teachers end up just get cycling around. They move to a new state. They move to a new district. And that's it. 
we've seen this recently in Lexington where we've seen teachers who had prior allegations and issues at prior schools being hired on here and then having issues and allegations. And then we find out, oh, this is actually a pattern of behavior. I watched a movie slash documentary recently. It's kind of like one of those based on true story movie things. Um, and it was, and, and the movie's called, uh, I believe it's called The Good Nurse. And it's a real life story about a nurse uh, who they believe murdered as many as 400 people. And what he did is in, in hospitals, he would inject into their IV bags a dangerous mix of clear chemicals. And then it would go through the IV bag and it would kill people. And at these hospitals, it was just known that this guy was the one doing it. There's tons of rumors. What they would do is, is they would, uh, he would show up. They'd see a bunch of unexplained deaths occurring in people that shouldn't have happened. They then, he gets moved on, the deaths stop. In fact, this nurse was at 11 different hospitals. They all knew, but they kept bouncing him. In fact, when he was asked why he did it, he said, well, they just kept letting me do it. This is a similar thing. And the reason why the hospitals kept bouncing him around was because if they copped to it, if they knew what he was doing and he was murdering people within the hospital and they admit to it, well, they're worried about their own skin. They are worried about their lawsuits or being shut down and everything else. So instead of doing the right thing, because they're worried about the consequences, you know, like a three-year-old, except instead people were being murdered, they would just go ahead and fire him and let him go murder people at another hospital. It's a similar thing happening here with our public school systems all across the country. Rather than copping to and doing the right thing and standing in the face of the consequences of the fact that you have staff and teachers that are inappropriately uh, sexually messing around with or texting with or whatever, students, you don't say anything. And you allow them to be bounced to the next school where they then create more and more victims. No wonder why these parents up in Greenup County are so upset. No wonder why. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you all so, so much for joining me. Hope to catch you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.